Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Parenting Teens, looking at principles that can guide your thinking as you try to lead and survive your teenagers. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Today we're going to talk about connecting, connecting with your teenager. This is, I'm not sure which class, in parenting your teenagers. And there was a story that I found really moving. Uh, this is in the book, The Disconnected Generation by Josh McDowell. He says, it was an outdoor rally, so I stood on a boulder to be better seen and heard. There must have been about 1,000 kids sitting on the grass at the Phoenix, Arizona High School to hear my talk on love and sex. Just as I got started, a group of punk rockers walked up and joined the crowd. The trend in those years was for punkers to dye their hair unusual colors and hang gold chains around their necks, and this particular group was in full regalia. Their arrival didn't cause much commotion, but because I had been warned that this group might try to cause problems, I kept my eyes on them as I talked. They just stood there, looked at me as if to say, looking at me as if to say, we dare you to say anything that we would want to listen to. When my talk ended and I stepped down off the boulder, the leader of the punker group ran right up to me. This husky young guy came within inches of my nose, so most of the crowd neither saw nor heard what happened next. They didn't see the tears running down his cheeks or hear him politely ask me a poignant question, Mr. McDowell, would you give me a hug? Before I could even get my arms around him, the big punker grabbed me in a bear hug, put his head on my shoulder, and started crying like a baby. I hugged him back, and we stood there for almost a minute. I could tell he was sincere. He wasn't putting me or the crowd on. He really wanted a hug. Finally, the punker stepped back and said something that I have heard from countless young people. Mr. McDowell, my father, has never once hugged me or told me he loved me. In his own dramatic style, this young man made a statement about the universal need for affection. When we show affection to young people, we give them a sense of lovability. How well are you connecting with your young person? One of the things that's really struck me in talking with my last remaining teenager who's almost going to be out of that stage soon too was how many of her friends don't feel like their parents really love them now I gave her a task this last week and she forgot to do it but maybe this next week she'll do it I gave her a, a two question survey to do with her friends the first question is do you feel that your parents really love you and if you don't what is it that they could do where you would feel like they did. But it's just, uh, these are all Christian homes. So what I want us to do right now, you've got a, a case study before you, but what I want you to do is I, I've given you a sheet of paper, and all I want you to read is Jason's view, which is the teenager, and his dad's view. So it's just, uh, it's basically half of that piece of paper. So go ahead and start doing that. Jason's view, it's not that I hate my parents or anything, I just wish they w could understand me. 
I mean, there's this issue of having a job. Dad is always on my case about studying hard and getting good grades. He thinks having a car and a good sound system and the right clothes are not important. He's always putting me down for wanting to make money and have nice things. Well, that's who I am, and Dad just can't handle it. And Mom is always saying I'm too eager to store up treasures on earth, whatever that means. She says it's better to be rich spiritually instead of materially. That may work for Mom and Dad, but my friends and I believe you can have both. My parents just don't get it. They are so judgmental. They don't give me any credit for being who I am. It's like they're rejecting their own son. I have no freedom. They just keep saying you can make decisions like an adult when you start acting like an adult. Well, if acting like an adult means being like them, I don't think I want to be one. Dad's view. Jason is such a good kid. I know he's a little hard-headed at times, but he'll pull out of it eventually. He really needs to get off this kick of getting a job so he can buy all the CDs he wants. He needs to see God's kingdom first. I'm trying to teach biblical values to him but he thinks his mother and I are pretty tough on him at times. I'm sure he will eventually realize that what we're doing is best for him. He needs constructive criticism and healthy correction, just like I did growing up. Sure, he's a, a little distant now, but he'll come around. I know I did with my folks. Let's see what table number one has to say about this situation. What did you observe about this interaction? Who is we, we thought that Jason was pretty... He didn't seem like he was in too bad a shape. You wish you had hit those problems. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to get a job. He wants to buy his CDs with his own money. Yes, yes. Man, we can say amen. And we just thought his parents were a little oppressive. And if they really wanted to set parameters and him have a job, if, you know, if he keeps his grades up, that seemed to be a problem with them. Uh -huh. uh, if he gave money to church, if he was, you know, responsible. Uh -huh. But it doesn't sound like they want to do that. They just want him to study. and. Okay. Uh, so we just... Yeah, the other thing is they just expect him to grow out of it. It uh -huh. doesn't sound like they want to do anything about it. They just want to set it off and sooner or later he'll be an adult. Right. Okay. Any other thoughts? Is that good? What do you all see happening here? From Jason's view, the, the parents are slow to realize that he's growing up. They just feel like that he, they're too much, um, I guess, not in, in, in tune with what he's, what's happening in his life. Um, maybe it's okay to let him make some mistakes. Buy some stuff that may not be the end of the world. Stuff versus grades is kind of like we'll juggle that, but we don't really know how he's doing in school or something. Mm -hmm. I don't think this. And he's searching for reasons why. When the mother mentions about storing up treasure on earth, he doesn't know what that means. It's whatever that means. Mm -hmm. That's our thought. Okay. And you did you want to put something? Uh, for the dad's yeah. view? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. The father's not relating to, to him. We feel like he's, you know, it's kind of, oh, he'll just grow out of it kind of thing. Or dad's, all he wants to do is give constructive criticism, make corrections, and um, they don't, and they're not relating to what's maybe important to the son. Mm -hmm. How does, what kind of a job do you think the dad feels like he's doing as a dad? Great. He's doing a good job, man. You just, you know, yeah. just got to be firm. Just yeah. hang in there. They'll eventually yeah. realize that you're right in everything <laughs> when they grow up. How about this, Taylor? What y'all see here? Well, the first, the first statement the dad says, Jason's a good kid. I mean, he's a 16-year-old boy who probably doesn't want to be considered a kid. Yeah. And uh, we don't... Um, what I said was the first thing the dad says, Jason is a good kid. And we thought that that spoke a lot for the dad's point of view and maybe the mom's point of view. He's a 16-year-old boy. He didn't want to be thought of as a kid, and they're pretty much treating him that way. They're not um, thinking of him as, as a young adult, thinking of him as a kid. And he mentioned the, um, 
the spiritual and the material, materialistic things, his friends and he think they can do both. And so they obviously he's talked about it with his friends, and uh, they think that they can do both, but his, his parents want, want one way. And basically what, what we had talked about, and his, his dad had mentioned also, just like I did when I was growing up, you know, times have changed for, for all of us, and uh, we don't think his parents maybe realize times have changed, and he probably needs a little more responsibility if he's willing to go out and get a job. And uh, when, like Rocky said, we don't know how his grades are, we can only assume, um, but if his grades are decent, he, he wants to go out and get a job and prove himself, and maybe that might allow him to, to grow a little bit and, and open his parents' eyes a little bit. Great, good. And, yes, the final table here. What did y'all see here? What did you observe? I think one of the things I said was that um, the dad just wants to mold him into what he wants him to be, and he doesn't want him allow to allow him to go on the path and, you know, try things and make a mistake. I mean, mm -hmm. like that's not allowed. He's not even allowed. And part of growing is you're going to have to, you know, make a mistake and learn from it. And the dad wanting him to jump from being a kid to being an adult with, you know, skipping all that. What kind game. of an adult? Not just right. an adult. What, how he understands being an adult. And um, so I think that's part of the problem is the dad, you know, wanting to save him some pain, but part of growing up is having to go through uh -huh. And could it not be that the dad is also trying to save himself some pain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much here. It's, it's, uh, it's difficult to realize that at least 50%, if not higher, up to 70% of all the difficulties you're going to have with your child rest primarily in you. Our tendency is to think if there's a problem with the child, it's because they're just starting off in life and we just need to guide them and correct them. Uh, it's certainly true in the t first 10 years. In the first 10 years, the percentage is even higher. I, my aunt worked <clears throat> as a child psychologist. She had, was one of the first women to get her PhD <laughs> in uh, child psychology early last century now, the 1900s. And she worked with troubled children, you know, age, say, four-ish to 11 or 12. In other words, the kind of the first decade of parenting. She worked with them for all her life, 30, 40 years. I'll never forget at the end of her life, uh, her feeling discouraged. She said, I was always able to help the children. There was never a child that would not respond to her. She said, but since I wasn't as good at getting the parents to change and do what they needed to do, all the ground gained with the children was lost. The problem was not the kids. It was the parents. And so one of the most important things, thinking, well, maybe I might have a little bit to do with it, is when you look at something, what do you see? Because what, what you see is how you're going to operate on the basis of what you perceive. Now, we have two totally different perceptions here. And your ability to look at this and see what, what's really going on here, to a large degree, reflects your ability to look at the situations you encounter. And I mean, you, like, like I said, the, the one thing I like about this is it totally comes out of left field. He wants to get a job. <laughs> he wants to earn money. wants to buy his own CDs with his own money. You know, the, and the parents are giving reasons, like spiritual reasons and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's not your typical case study kind of scenario. And the dad's kind of upbeat about it. You know, this is not a situation that uh, has really degenerated and now they're, they're in a crisis situation. That's the scary thing. The dad thinks, oh, we're doing great. And the son has almost totally given up. And you 
actually live where in, in, with your perception. So it doesn't matter whether or not the sun is right or not. He lives and reacts and thinks according to what he perceives to be what's going on. He, the sun says, it's like they're rejecting their own son. Is that what you're picking up with, with what the dad says? Is he rejecting his son? He's believing in his son. He's providing guidance for his son. He's trying to do it in, in his mind in a nice way. We don't get the sense here that he's yelling. Uh, that's not the, 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 the volume that the dad is using or the words. You don't pick up that that's what the problem with the son is. It's a clash of values, of priorities of values. Now, on those two sets of values, the dads and the sons, who's right? Should it be the dad's goal to have his son completely line up with all of his values? We believe in free will in the sense that each person is a moral agent and must make their own decisions and live with consequences. And so to truly train his child, he's got to train him how to arrive at values, even if they're different from his own, and live with consequences. And hopefully learn, as you did, a lot of things. Some things the hard way and some things because you got a good word of counsel and whatever. Why do you think the dad is overly positive? Feels like it worked for him. Although, if you went back and drew him out about his relationship with his dad, I bet you it didn't go that well when it was going. The dad is overly positive probably because he's just ill-informed. He doesn't know enough to know he should be worried. Now, why doesn't he know? He didn't ask the right questions, and he didn't listen. He didn't take the time. Don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is already made up. Oh, I know he's a good kid. I know we're doing fine. We're just going to hold on to this. Don't talk to me. I just I know what I'm doing. I'm right. You're wrong. I've got good values because I'm an adult. You've got bad values because they're different from mine. And so you're, by definition, wrong. And all this time, the dad thinks things are going well, thinks he's being nice, thinks he's being a good parent, and right on his watch, his son is about, if, if his son is, a, is an introvert, a deep kind of a thinker, he'll, that's, that son in six months could be suicidal. And the dad, clueless. But why? He's disconnected. He doesn't ask the right questions, and he doesn't listen. Because the son has all of this in there, but he obviously has not, the dad has not opened up enough of a door to give the, chance, the son a chance to express it. And that's probably why the son feels so distant. But what's underlying this whole thing? What, what's, uh, you know, we're talking about the, the clash of the values. Underlying this is that, is that the parents, and the dad's understanding of what's going on here. What am I doing? Well, I'm, I have uh, somebody I know <laughs> closely that doesn't live in the city, um, who says, parenting is easy, just like training a dog. He, you know, has, always has these, had these big dogs. And, and uh, you know, I've just always realized, you know, that, that's a control paradigm. And it hasn't always gone real well with their parents. They've done better with their dogs. <laughs> I mean, there are many factors, and I'm not being judgmental, but... But many parents are much more controlling than they realize. Now, you 
velvet coated. You're nice. You know, an outside observer wouldn't notice anything necessarily. Technically, everything is fine. But underneath that velvet, there's steel. Listen, son. You lay. This is what we're going to do. And the child feels very constricted. Now, in the first 10 years, that's good to a certain degree. I mean, you need to provide enough guidance and control, particularly in the first 10 years. But once their mind is developing, like we were talking about before, you're in a new situation of training the Iraqi police, which was the uh, illustration we used the other week, that we don't want to be in Iraq for the next 100 years. And the key to not being there is training Iraqis to uh, run their own country. And what you're doing with your teenager is you're trying to work yourself out of a job. And to the degree you give them fixed, already formed values and principles that work for you, that you like, that maybe even that you receive from your parents. It may be generations back, but maybe now with the way times have changed or whatever, it doesn't matter. They've got to reach their own convictions, their own conclusions. And sometimes they're, they're not going to be good ones. And they'll, if they really are bad, they'll probably figure it out. The point is, you have to get over the fact that you can't control them. That they can make bad decisions, will make bad decisions. I mean, they're your kid. I mean, look at you. Didn't you make a few bad decisions? Come on, and here you are, you live to tell the tale. And that they would know that your acceptance of them isn't contingent on them being a carbon copy of you. And that's a lot of self-talk you've got to do in your own mind. To what degree am I strong-arming this teenager? It doesn't mean you don't give them parameters. You, you, you need to give them parameters. But you need to constantly come back and ask the question, but are these the right parameters? See, the dad isn't asking any questions. I wonder if I'm handling it this, the best. I wonder what's going on in his mind. I wonder if we're really take, taking this thing the right way. I wonder if there are things he's not telling me because he doesn't feel like I'd listen. You need to question yourself more in the teenage years so that they will understand that you also are a learner and you, you work, you're working on it together. I mean, it's a tough thing. There are so many things going on in the world today. Your teenager's confused, you're confused, uh, a lot of things have changed, and a lot of things have stayed the same. And the fact is, none of us really know what it would look like to be a successful, godly Christian uh, 20 years from now, when they're going to be an adult. I mean, there are a lot of things you do know, and there are the, all the basic principles and what the Scripture says, but nevertheless, a lot of things are changing in the way, in the way people relate, in the way they communicate. You know, what do you think about instant, instant mes messaging? And all these kind of things. Well, I think this, well, I think that, well... You know, I don't know. I don't know. And we've lived through a lot of changes, haven't we? There have been a lot of changes in terms of the breakdown of the family, women, women in the workplace, so they're, they're less present in the home. There are all of these different things that have their pros and cons and everything, but they change the way the game is played. And new, new, there, there are new challenges that have to be figured out. And, and if we don't train our child to think for themselves and make good decisions, we haven't helped them. We've only passed on to them old ideas that worked back then that probably won't work for them now. That's its first problem. But even if it did, it's not their idea. They just, 
And you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why you can have a child that, that because of your, the way you parent them and don't really develop their own thinking and decision-making capability, they're just waiting to get off to college. And then, bingo, totally out of control. And part of that was you didn't start soon enough in saying, you're going to have to decide what kind of person you want to be. And some of your decisions may even end you up, land you in jail. That's okay. I mean, people live through jail, you know, and there's life after jail. There's life in jail. I mean, uh, you know, maybe that will, you know, really deepen your walk with the Lord. There are lots of needy people there. Be, it's a great ministry, you know. And, and I, I promise you, I will visit you. I will pray for you. I mean, even in the worst case scenario, I'm your father. And I love you. And I know you're going to figure things out. And sometimes you're going to take the high road. Sometimes you could take the low road. And I know you don't want to, you don't want to be stupid. I mean, you know, who wants to run smash into a wall and break their nose. I mean, none of us do. You want what's best. We see things differently. You've seen things about the world that I haven't seen. And I don't know. So I want to I be your friend on, as long as you live at home. There are going to be parameters and consequences if you cross that, but that's just all part of life. You know, once you get a job, there'll be parameters. I mean, parameters are just part of life. And so we have to have some, some basic things that we agree on here at home that, that need to happen. And there are things you're going to expect of me and I need to do for you. And if I fail you, I need to t ask your forgiveness and vice versa. And sometimes we need to renegotiate, put it all back on the table. Say, well, maybe maybe that's not the way it is. Let's, let's talk about it. Let me listen to what you're trying to tell me. You're obviously really unhappy about this. Let's go back to the drawing board. If it's true, if it's right, if it's good, together we re-derive it from its basic principles. You don't want them to use foul language in the house. Why? What is foul language? Where'd you come up with that? And you have to go back and say, well, where did this idea, that I've got a conclusion. I don't remember how I ever got to that conclusion. I feel strongly about it. I'm mad when it's broken. But when they say, but why? You know, why can't I, in this case, why can't, what, what's wrong with doing it this way? He says, well, and the dad gives some stock replies. Instead of going back and say, well, all right, well, that's another way of looking at it. Let's, let's think about that for a while. But with case studies like this and, and things that happen in your own home, a lot of times in relating to your teenager, it's like walking through the living room in the dark and you don't see the furniture, and so you end up tripping over things. And when you do, you think, oh, that's where the sofa is. And so you're walking along as a parent, and you think you're being perfectly reasonable. And, uh, I mean, you're paying all the bills. You're providing a house over their head. You're paying for this, this uh, great school that they're complaining about, and, and all of these things. And so as you relate to your teen, it's like you bump into things, and because of their response, you realize something just happened. And your tendency is to think, they have a problem. And you need to straighten up, and this and that and the other. But it's when you bump into those things that basically you have just been handed like a sheet of paper, like this, of in some way y'all are not connecting. And how you handle it, you're, they're always going to be Things like that. You have, you're going to have different values. They're in formation. There are a lot of things they don't know yet. There are a lot of things they're they're making wrong conclusions about, but how about you? You know, maybe yours are 
used to be good conclusions, maybe they're not so good anymore. But when you bump into those situations, that is an opportunity for you, instead of just laying down the law, saying, what is going on here? Am I listening? Do I understand what's going on in their mind? Why do I feel so strongly? Because we, you know, we really had came to some heated words. We really didn't resolve it in terms of, uh, we almost got to a ceasefire. But we really didn't get to a negotiated peace. And, uh, but since I have the bigger army, I've got the money, I've got the keys to the car, you know, I've got, I've got these things, I can pull rank. And I say, you are going to do this because I said, and if you don't, this is going to happen. What, what you've just done there is you've taken all control away from them and say, we have just placed this regime under military rule. There's a curfew. Say yes, sir, when you answer me. And by removing all control out of their hands, I've once more set the clock back. They're now in their first 10 years of life. You're not becoming an adult. You're a stupid child. Until you become just like me, I'm not going to say you're an adult. And they're thinking, I can't wait to get off to college. Distance is the only solution here. But you know what? Five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 40 years down the road, they're going to still be mourning the fact that they never felt close to you. That they never felt like you understood them. And in a sense, that you never cared. Some of you are still going through this with your own parents. You don't talk about it, they don't talk about it, but whenever you stop to think about it, your thought of your mom or your dad or both, in many cases, is tinged with sadness because of the things that never happened and the depth of communication and connection that never could take place. The last thing I want to say as I think of three cases, because what I told you the very first Sunday was the difficulty of talking about parenting teens is that every family has evolved in its own direction. Some families evolve in a, a rather relatively unengaged way. Others are really on top of it. They, the parents have read books and they take these courses and they've got you know, all the little ducks in a row the first 10 years. So they're, they're high, high control and there are others that are just busy. And that, so you've got all these different ones. And if you say what will help one family this other family, if they do that, it would make things even worse. For example, I've got three cases here. One is, is that uh, your tendency is to be high control. And like I said, in the first 10 years, that's a good thing, if done lovingly. You know, where you are clear with your kids, and uh, you give them clear boundaries, you do it in a loving way, and they, in the first 10 years, they... Everybody says, oh man, you've got such great kids, and they're just so cute, and, and they... They're, they're helpful. I remember uh, we had a, and we would be in this category of being more engaged and high, high control, which, like I said, it, it, uh, it could sound bad or sound good, depending on. But in the first 10 years, it's, it's very helpful to the children because they, you're really involved and, and giving them the guidance they need. And Walt was two and a half years old and going to kindergarten 
He wanted to go to the cool where the kids speak Spanish. This was our first uh, year in Argentina, so he couldn't even speak English. <laughs> and his, son, his kindergarten teacher wanted to meet who is this kid's mom because of all the kids, he was the only one that would say please and thank you, and if somebody had gotten hurt, he'd go over to comfort them and all of this. And this, all of those things are, you know, are taught. And this girl eventually came to, came to Christ. But like I said, the, the challenge for parents that were controlling and uh, highly engaged in the first 10 years is to learn to back off and also listen and get used to the idea that my kids are growing up and I need to get them to the point where they can look at what, just like we did today, you should be, get to the point where you can look at something like that and you know what's going on. question is, can your son, can your daughter get to the point where they look at a situation and they're at a party, and someone offers them something that's a bad idea. But there's peer pressure, there's all these things, and you are a long way off. And in that situation, when you're not there, what's the Iraqi police going to do? I mean, they're, they're the ones that have to make the call. What are you doing to train them for that? So if you're controlling, then you have to be thinking, I've got to give them more space, I've got to ask better questions, I've got to listen etc. There are others of you that are relatively unengaged and sometimes it's different for the husband and the wife. You know, the, a lot of times in those teenage years, the, the husband has got so many demands on him at work. In between parents and teenagers is 14 minutes, 12 of those 14 minutes giving instructions and only two minutes a day in meaningful conversation. So it's only in case of emergency, it's only in case of fire, dad shows up, Listen, son, mother has told me, and, you know, did he ask any good questions? Did he listen to me? No, no, don't confuse me with the facts. My mind is already made up. So the challenge for those that tend to be unengaged is to get this book, please. Something like this, The Disconnected Generation, where you, where you get more of an idea of how do you communicate unconditional love to your child, you know, like that punk rocker, you know, look at, look at how extremely he was expressing himself in negative ways. And down underneath it all, it wasn't primarily rebellion. He said he never felt loved. I mean, you're going to feel pretty bad someday when after all the thing that your child has gone through, decades later, they said, well, if you'd have just loved me, none of this would have happened. You think, oh. I thought it was those rotten friends you had. I thought it was all that TV you were watching or the video games. It was that computer and the instant messaging. No, Dad. It was you. It was you. Now, you still have time. But it's fleeting. And pretty soon it's going to be gone. So take the time now to engage not just as Moses and as a lawgiver, but as a good shepherd. And as a brother in Christ. I was looking at uh, John chapter 1. That says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 14, the, This Word became flesh, became a person, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glories of, of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. He has revealed him. God, who was so far off, with values so different from ours, 
And in his case, all of his were right and all of ours were wrong. And how he found a way to come close to us and live with us without destroying us and build a deep relationship with us. And particularly dads, because dads are, of, of mom and dad, usually the percentages are that dad is, if someone's unengaged, it's dad. Not always, but some, most of the times it seems that's the way. And because dads are not as, uh, don't have as much emotional sensors, you know, somebody's depressed over here. Dads are, who? You know, uh, <laughs> we're just not as, as quick. But we can be proactive, we can read stuff, get around people, ask better questions, engage. And the third case I want to mention, and then we'll close, is there are other families, some families are controlling, some are unengaged and need to engage, but some are, are really moving, but what they're going after is that their kids would excel academically, good grades, uh, we're going to do this thing for the SAT so that you will do better and then you can get into this school, et cetera, et cetera, and really into developing their gifts. You know, you're, you're really good at basketball or tennis or you're a cheerleader or, or this or that or the other, so we're running over here and running over there, and so we're exhausted, you know, I mean, we were, it's not as though we're not doing anything, we're doing too many things, and we keep saying that to each other, we're doing too many things, and we really need to cut something out, and then you add something else on, you know. But a lot of times in that, it's, it's a lot of motion, but it's not a lot of depth. And you don't really know what's going on in that child's heart and mind. And the developing the ability to process things with them, instead of giving them finalized conclusions, this is the right way, walk in it, it says, well, let's, let's look at the options. What are you learning as you interact with other kids in school? What are you picking up from them as far as good examples, bad examples, I mean, I asked um, my, my daughter, well, what are you picking up from your friends at school, how it's going with their parents? And most of them feel like it's going horribly. And probably at least half of them, the parents think everything's going fine. But, see, as I draw my daughter out, see, I'm not just curious about how the world is going. What am I looking for? I want to know what does she see when she looks at that world. I said, now what would you suggest to this girl here? You know, you said her parents, this and that and the other. Why do you think she feels that way? You know, this is when I go pick her up at school. There are times, you know, you are the, y'all are chauffeurs, you know. You have moments of a captive audience. And just be, be curious. And, and, and see, what, what, are you, what are you seeing in the world what do, what do you think kids are most worried about? It doesn't have to be always, you know, you, 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 you know, who have you fallen in love with today, you know, all of these kind of things that maybe they don't want to tell you. But to draw them out, find out what's going on in that inner person, not so that you can evaluate it, not so that you can jump on it, and say, oh, no, that's not right, that's not right, stop that right now. Just listen. Oh, that's interesting. A lot of your friends think that way, you know. That we're, the new thing is to chop off the right ear. Wow, that's interesting. What do you do with it when you chop it off? You know, find some way to not. If you are knee jerk, knock it down. It's like a skeet shoot, and every clay pigeon they throw up, bang. So you ask another question, bang. Says, 
I'm done talking with you. You jump on everything I say. That does not train the Iraqi police. They're going to have to be able to look at something and come to a good conclusion. And you will help them much more with better questions and listening better than continuing to dish out your tried and true truths. What a challenge. Well, next week, and hopefully my daughter will have finished her survey, and I'll be able to come back to you with some cool inside scoop on the teenage world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you connected with us in Jesus Christ, that you bridged that huge gap where it really was a situation where you were perfect, we imperfect. You had all truth. We were filled with lies. But nevertheless, Lord, you found kind and sacrificial ways to draw near to us. And a lot of times you're just quiet. And you let us run into the wall and uh, learn from our mistakes. Help us to be more like you. Deliver us from ungodly anger and always pulling rank and once again instituting a military regime to force these unfortunates into line. Lord, help us to train up these recruits in life to be wise, to see things as they are, and to make their own decisions and through our prayers and faith come around to being in the center of your will, even if it's different than the dreams we might have had for them. Lord, help us to not be the problem. Help us to surrender them into your hand, but not to abandon them, to accompany them and to help them grow up so that we will be side by side someday in the presence of God, brother and brother, brother and sister, sister and sister, parents with children. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.